Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker on this April the 27th, a Monday in the year of our Lord 2020, at which time we'll be taking a look at one of the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter. And the readings are from Acts chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, and John 10. It's also known as Good Shepherd Sunday, but we're going to be taking a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. So, without further ado, here we go. The ESV uh, begins in this way. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now, the King James says, for this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endures grief, suffering wrongfully. And the New American Standard, for this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. So what does that mean? Well, obviously, we're talking also about what Jesus did. He suffered unjustly. But this was a gracious or a thankworthy item. Now, the word that's in the Greek is the word for grace, charis. And it means that it affords joy, pleasure, delight. Does that make any sense? That this is a delightful thing when one suffers unjustly? Well, you got to remember what's in the middle of that verse. When mindful of God... Or as the King James says, if a man for conscience toward God endures grief. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're making a distinction between what a man distinguishes between what is morally good and what is morally morally wrong. If he, therefore, has a conscience that is following God and, therefore, suffers unjustly, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God, because you're enduring what Jesus went through when he suffered unjustly. Remember Pontius Pilate. I don't find any wrong in this man, and he washed his hands of what was going on there, because he doesn't believe that Jesus should have been crucified. So this is kind of an important thing to remember. Just think of it in the analogy of a a parent to a child. Let's say a, a parent is taking the child to surgery. The parent would do anything to suffer in the place of the child because of the love towards that child. In the same way, we as Christians, when we're mindful of God, when our conscious understanding is this is what God would have me do 
even though it's going to cause suffering, I'm going to do it. I mean, in our day and age, particularly, when Christians stand up for the pro-life or for proper marriage or for many other moral issues, they are attacked, they are shunned, they are victimized, they suffer. In fact, people have lost their jobs because they stand up for Christian values. And that's what Peter is telling to the congregation. This is a thankworthy thing. God finds favor in you. When you're mindful of what God wants, you do it, you say it, guess what? You may endure sorrows when suffering unjustly. Verse 20, 1 Peter 2. For what credit is it if, when you sin and you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Well, here comes that word charis again, gracious. The King James says this is acceptable with God. New American Standard, this finds favor with God. So these are really important understandings to come to that, yes, if you're in jail because you did a crime, well, what credit is it to you that you're paying for the crime? But if you're in jail when you do good, and suffer for it, that's a gracious thing in the sight of God, the way God looks at it. And and that's happening to Christians. For example, a pastor has been arrested in another country because he published a book and talked about it that talks about proper marriage rather than gay marriage. And The government was saying that he was really putting down people who are living in a gay marriage relationship. You see, they don't have freedom of speech as we have in this country of the United States. And so, therefore, if you speak in such a way in some areas of the world where you are putting down other people from their point of view, you can be arrested and find. And therefore, if you endure that, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, this is really important to understand how Jesus Christ is an example. Because the word, for example, in the Greek is interesting. It means that you're learning to draw from somebody else. It's an example set before us. This is for Christians who are already saved. Jesus is not an example for unbelievers. What? 
We're not to follow Jesus if we're an unbeliever? No, we're not able to follow Jesus as an unbeliever. And following Jesus as an unbeliever doesn't get you saved. Justification doesn't come about by following Jesus as an example. It comes about by trusting in the promises of the gospel. Now, once you believe the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, then you can understand to follow him as an example. For both translations, the ESV and the King James and the New American Standard, Talk about, for you have been called for this purpose. To be called occurred for me at my baptism, where I was called to be a Christian in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And once I have been called, then Jesus can become an example for me. And the example that Peter's talking about in this case is that he suffered for us. And therefore, we also are willing to suffer for him and follow in his sin, in his steps. Verse 22 gives the reason why he was unjustly committed to the cross. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. It talks about that we sin by deed, word, and thought. But in Jesus' case, he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. So he never did anything wrong nor did he say anything wrong. Uh, The word for deceit is also translated as guile or craft. See, some people will say things in order to manipulate you. That would be, therefore, a sin. They don't really mean what they say, but they're using it for a self-interest purpose. Jesus did neither. He did not sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. There are a number of words for the word sin, but this one, which is hamartia, refers to shooting at a bullseye and not only missing the bullseye, but falling short of the target. Jesus never did that. It's what Satan tempted him to do in the 40 days in the wilderness and throughout his ministry where Satan moved the disciples to reject Jesus. So, what are some examples Jesus did? Verse 23, 1 Peter 2. When he was reviled, reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself 
to him who judges justly. Now, who is the him here? That would be his father, God the Father. So when he was reviled, and the Greek word therefore reviled means abuse was heaped upon him. He did not revile back against such people. Remember, he was silent like a sheep led to its slaughter. When he suffered, he did not threaten. In fact, what happened is that he ended up sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And that good news was very, very good that he was our Savior. And that's the example we're to follow, that when we suffer for the Word of God, we don't have to threaten anyone. I, I hear this every now and then from some evangelicals. Yeah, if you don't follow me, you're going to be in big trouble. No, he committed himself to him that judges righteously. And that word for righteously is the word where we are righteous in God's sight, when what is right is done properly. And so God has a wonderful message that Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for I know not, for they know not what they are doing. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. What does that mean? It's talking about that Jesus bore our sins in his body by dying on the cross. The King James and the ESV says, on the tree. A lot of times to die on the tree was a way that the Jews talked about dying on a cross. And that's what Jesus did. He died on the cross for you. And by his wounds, you have been healed. Now, the word for wounds is the word that was used in Genesis 3.15, although it's the Greek form, that, yes, devil will bruise Jesus, but Jesus will bruise him by crushing his head. And this word means a wound that trickles with blood. And that, of course, again, returns to the cross. You see, this is a really an important point that we need to understand. There's nothing that we can talk about concerning Jesus that is not dealing with the cross of Christ. Everything deals with the cross. And in that cross, we find salvation. We find victory. And as it says, we have been healed. Now, what happens to those of us who are going 
maybe through the virus, some of you might be. How come you're not healed? Well, the word heal actually is another word for to be saved. And we're talking about a salvation that comes to us. We are saved from the threat of hell. That's what healing means in the spiritual sense in this context. And that's really important, that we are healed and made whole. Now, it's very interesting that the word for heal there is a word that's in the passive. And what does that mean? It's a aorist passive, second person plural. By his wounds, you, plural, see, Peter is talking to the whole congregation, have been healed. We have not been healed by what we have done. We have not been healed by listening to Jesus and following his example. We are healed by the suffering he underwent for us. And once we become a Christian, then we too, with the same love in us that he has for us, we're able to suffer on behalf of others so that they may come to an understanding, why are you doing this? Well, we're willing to suffer for you because Jesus suffered for us. I mentioned this before, but during the tsunami, when people lost lives, their homes, their property, their ability to eat, members of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, arrived in their country and started rebuilding their homes, giving them food to eat, and taking care of them. And immediately, they were asked, why are you doing this? Because people who had been hit by the tsunami were under the impression that they deserved this. There was some reason that this had happened. We even find this even among Christians. What did I do to deserve this? Even though on a Sunday morning you might profess, I'm a poor, miserable sinner deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. Yet, to know that we deserve this is something that we thank God for, that the suffering that we're experiencing is not a way of God getting even with us, but getting a taste of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Very, very important. We finally get to the last verse. It's 1 Peter 2, 19 to 25. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So I, I believe this is a reason that this particular passage was chosen for this Sunday, because it's Good Shepherd Sunday. When it says that we were strained like sheep, well, the word to stray means to go aside from the right way. It doesn't mean that we were going down a different path. It means we were sinning. 
we were not following God's holy word and the morals that are found in the scripture. We were straying like sheep. And remember that favorite parable of Jesus, Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We were straying like sheep. We were lost. And so what did he do? We have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And the word return means that it has co- something has caused us to return, to bring back. It's a transitive case, uh, grammar- grammatically, and it's in the passive. So once more, this is not something that you've done. It's something that was done for you. It's like when Jesus went to get the lost sheep. You can't give credit to the sheep for coming back. You give credit to the shepherd because he first rescued the sheep, he found the sheep, and then he put the sheep on his shoulders. And by doing that, guess what happened? He was the sheep returned home to be with Jesus. So, this particular pericope, and when we say the word pericope, that means 1 Peter 2, verse 19 to 25, ends up with Jesus being our shepherd. And then there's that word overseer. Now, the King James uses the word bishop. And the New American Standard uses the word guardian. They all have the similar Greek word, episkopos, which is an overseer. This is a person who's charged with the duty of seeing that things that are done by others are done rightly. And so sometimes we may refer to them as the superintendent. Uh, the elder in the church, the overseer of a Christian church. We need to realize that, yes, the pastor is the head of the church in the area of sermons, Bible studies, confirmation, visiting the sick, and visiting shut-ins, etc. But the elders have a very important part. They are to make sure that the that the pastor is doing his task. So a number of times at an elder's meeting, the pastor would give a report of what he had done, how many shuttings he had seen, how many hospital calls, uh, how many adult confirmants can be expected in the next class, and so forth. Very, very important. So Jesus is our overseer. He is the one who is in charge of seeing that things are done rightly. And the first thing he did, of course, was to save us from hell. That was something that was done rightly. 
in order that we can be saved. And so it's going to be kind of good when you hear the gospel for this coming Sunday from John 10. Jesus begins it, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, what's the door that Jesus came through? He came through the door of the cross. Yes, because he then opened the way to heaven for all of us. That's the task of Jesus, who is our shepherd and our overseer. And we pray that though you won't be able to be attending church this Sunday because of the virus, you may still be able to be listening to the wonderful good news. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to, with Mark Smith, take a look at the hymn, The King of Love My Shepherd Is. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening to Law and Gospel. Join with us tomorrow. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.